Welcome to the Hidden History Happy Hour podcast with Alex Dean and Brian Cunningham. Here we have a drink, have a laugh, and you just might learn something about our favorite stories from history. Please visit our website at hiddenhistoryhappyhour.com and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you like the show, please rate us five stars and leave a review. Cheers. Russians, hypnotism, and death rays. Oh, my. Welcome back to the Hidden History Happy Hour. First, of course, my friend Alex, condolences on the loss of your great monarch. Thank you very much. God save uh, the king. God save the king. Got my gin and tonic. Might be the last time, but it'll be uh, respectful. I appreciate it. If I thought about it, I'd have had a debonet, uh, which was one of the, the queen's right. favorite tipples. Um, right. Not that easy to get hold of, actually, but... Um, uh, it, it is interesting, Brian. We, for something that in many ways was obviously foreseeable at some point, um, yeah. my country's been plunged into a communal state of shock. And uh, when uh, when you hear that we're in a period of mourning, it's really true. Yeah. Well, my apologies for not being more mourning right, right. appropriate. That's all right. I was. Um, I just came from a, a TV studio where we were. Um, commentating on the the queen is currently lying in state in Westminster Hall and um, the queue to go past her body as she lies in state is already two and a half miles long uh, provisions are available uh, for it to be uh, 10 miles or more and it's filling up fast uh, wow. so as we were on air it got it went from two two miles long to two and a half miles long and it's you get about three seconds at the coffin so it's really moving quickly and it's still just you know, it's looping around my capital well, that's a, an amazing tribute. Alex, you may not remember this as well as I do, but one of the most meaningful times I spent with my daughters when they were little was at the Jubilee. Of course I uh, And uh, you were kind enough to loan us your flat right on the Thames River because you were at a, a celebration. And uh, it was in all ways but one very pleasant memory for me. The one memory that's not pleasant as you probably recall, it was pouring down rain all day that day. And dad had to go secure the spot while the girls were relaxing in your condo. Right. Well, and if you recall that it rained heavily on the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh, who were that even then were no spring chickens. Yes. And, um, I, I, and they performed, as always, they performed their duties um, with aplomb, uh, notwithstanding the conditions. I, I'm really glad that your girls had that opportunity to, to do that. And I'm really glad I could help. Well, I'm sure I'm late to the party with this statistic, but it occurred to me earlier today that we, even our kids, may well not see another British queen in our lifetime. We'll see. Um, I mean, that's on one view, of course, that's realistic. But of course, on the other hand, events, things happen. Um, yeah. Our queen at one point had not expected to be, our late queen had not expected yes. to be queen. And then Edward VIII resigned, uh, abdicated, excuse me, gosh. Eight of the eighth uh, abdicated, and um, giving us the new line which uh, produced Elizabeth. So, um, so there we have it. It's uh, events do happen, uh, but I think you, you you may well be right uh, that that I will not see a, a queen again. I must tell you, it feels very strange seeing God I, save the king I after all this time. But um, uh, the, the beauty of constitutional monarchy and the beauty of continuity is um, the queen is dead. Long live the king. Well, I don't understand your traditions anywhere well as well as you do but i felt like uh king charles the third did a just an excellent job i thought it was oh, pitch perfect i couldn't agree more and I, everything about it um his first it was an exceptionally good start um the emotion without being maudlin 
the generosity. We mentioned, of course, Harry and Meghan, who famously no longer live in our country. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that everything he said in it was just right. He set the bar high, as his mother did. Well, if it's too crass, we'll edit it out. But I'm sure our American viewers are interested to know your take on the future of Harry and Meghan and, and, and the royal family and whether they'll be kind of reincorporated re in the family or not. It looks like not to me, but I don't know anything. I, I would say too soon to say. Um, yeah. it, it's clear that Prince William, who now becomes the heir to the throne um, and progresses to his, the title associated, of course, all my life with his father, Prince of Wales, right. longest serving. Um, air. Um, the um, now Prince of Wales clearly wanted his brother by his side. Yeah. And um, I thought that was both um, constitutionally right and uh, an absolutely logical matter of familial affection. Yeah. Um, and that may be an indication of the future. But for the longer, I don't know. I mean, they without i don't think it's a crass question at all but they don't help themselves um know, they don't help with the interviews they give the things they say yeah. um they don't help themselves on the well, other hand you know one always in every family uh one hopes for rapprochement if there's a rift yeah i thought it was quite emblematic of the sort of demystifying of state and family that now already iconic photo of of the brothers in the car on the way to the to her location. And, yes. you know, that, that is from a security standpoint, I can tell you, I'm sure that the British security services were not happy about that, but from a family well, standpoint, of course, you're going to do it that. Was logical. You, you've got to, I mean, we've got basically, so the funerals on the 19th of September, um, a, a outside of a few rogue States and States with which we do not have diplomatic relations, every state in the world is represented by their head of state, head of government or deputy head of government. And they're all going to be in one place. How's that for a security nightmare? We, yeah. um, this is something we, we may never see in our, in our lives again. Um, interestingly, I mean, by dint of course of their long relationship during the war, former president Eisenhower attended Winston Churchill's funeral. Mm -hmm. And the reason I mention that is that, um, that was a, a, an enormous state, a moment, a moment in our national consciousness, which people will always remember who were there, mm -hmm. and a moment of, um, in our national consciousness and national life, which seemed like a, a turning point and a, and a great um, uh, a time of change. And um, former President Trump, it seems, will not be attending um, the funeral of uh, Queen Elizabeth II. So um, I, I merely note that. Um, but of course... Um, well, we don't know. We, do we know if he's invited or not? That he's not invited, yeah, um, that's what as, I, I, as I understand it. Yeah. Um, but of course, there have been past occasions on which you know, I attended Margaret Thatcher's funeral, was very well attended, and um, and America was was represented in it. But one of the greatest tributes your country can pay is sending former presidents and so forth. And um, that it seems um, it was not going to be happening on this occasion. Yeah. Well. Somebody may have dropped the ball there. On the other hand, maybe somebody decided you didn't want a media circus that unfortunately follows him around. Well, it's going to be a media goes. circus either way, but I, I certainly Fair. take your point. No, one other thing I'll say about this, and then we're, we got a story, folks, so right. just stand by, <laughs> uh, is, is I was thinking about in the first 36 hours, and I kind of had a little bit of a view from afar about how it was affecting you. And of course, I saw on TV how it was affecting your country, yeah. men and women. And I try to think, was there an analog in modern U.S. history 
And I think the closest you would get would be the Kennedy assassination, uh, right. during which time I was 11 months old. So I don't remember that, although I have been accused of it as a CIA officer. Um, <laughs> but it's not the same because this was a 44 year old man assassinated. So whatever national grief and fear and trepidation we felt was was exacerbated by that. I don't think, I mean, Ronald Reagan was extremely popular and his funeral was well attended, but it's nothing like what your countrymen are feeling. No, uh, it, they are moments comparable in magnitude, I suppose, by dint of the Cold War and, and so forth and the, the, the level of heightened um, emotion quite naturally felt in your country by the appalling um, murder of a sitting president. But um, of course, they tried to assassinate uh, Reagan too. But um, I, I was going to um, say, on the other hand, um, the Queen's 70 year reign means that unlike your presidencies, which no offense, you know, come and go. Um, yes, um, the Queen has not just been the Queen all my life. She's been the Queen all the life of people quite a bit older than me. So um, it's also quite a daunting, now that you've said that, quite a daunting thought to realise that I am approaching the age that Kennedy was when he was killed. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, we, we're at this first stage of great... Hold, we've all, it's a weird thing, Brian, since we last recorded an episode. Not only do we have a different monarch in my country, we have a different prime minister. Yes. And um, many of the holders of, great, holders of great offices of state in my country are now younger than me too, which is what I think alcoholics call a moment of clarity. So uh, <laughs> cheers. I'm having beer today. What are you having? Do you cheers. Have this, this is what, gin what, what kind of gin? Uh, it's, it's my, um, my Washington-based uh, county. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the first two times in my life that I started to feel old were one, when I realized it's pretty unlikely I'll ever be elected president. Although now that's real. Knows, I got, a, I got yeah, yeah. at least 30 more years. Um, but two, when I watched Ferris Bueller's day off in my forties and I said, that goddamn kid, get back to school. You brat. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. when I knew I was getting yeah. old. Well, look, uh, I don't, not only do I not yet dismiss my political ambitions, we're, the, the half-life on our prime ministers in this country is now so short, it's basically yeah. going to be everyone's turn soon, so it's only a matter of time. True. Well, I, I hope that the podcast can run at least until you're prime minister, and then I suppose oh, I'll be we'll doing this. To... I'll be doing this from, from <laughs> office, of course. Right. Uh, one, one last thing I, I, wanna, yeah. I want you to indulge me on before we move on, and I, I hope uh, if you have anything else to add about the Queen or King Charles III, please. But I want to note uh, also the loss of Mikhail Gorbachev. Uh, yes. We're recording this on September 14th, 2022, our first show since uh, Gorbachev died. And, uh, you know, of course, Gorbachev was very formative in the ending of the Cold War. And that was in the sort of middle of my CIA service. And it had quite a profound effect on me. I was two years before that, I was the uh, one of the East European political analysts. And the entire enchilada mm. was trying to predict when and if the Soviet Union would would crumble. And I'm proud to say I was one of a few people who started to say in the late 80s that this is coming and we better be ready for it. But I don't think anyone, myself included, expected it to happen as fast and as bloodlessly as it did. Well, I was, um, I was, I was, I was on 
on air tonight on a TV channel in this country called GB News. But on, on the night that Gorbachev died, I was on on air on a channel called Talk TV. Uh, and to do a Mandelson, which is a reference to Peter Mandelson, a former government minister, which means to approvingly quote oneself. Um, <laughs> I, I, I said I said on air on that occasion that we were very lucky uh, as a global community that. It was Gorbachev and not somebody else. Yes. Um, another Russian premier might have taken things in a very different direction. It took someone of, of Gorbachev's courage um, to do what he did. And I also wonder this, Brian, it's a very interesting question for history, that people can rise through a system and then change their approach once they've reached the highest office. Yeah. Did they Were they always reformers and covering it? Or did they become reformers when they faced that choice in the greatest of offices in their in their state so it's a question to which we'll never of course really know the answer yeah or was he in his in gorbachev's case not quite as much as of a reformer as history shows him to be because right. he rode the tiger and it got out from under him. once you once you start the mixing of metaphors once you start the ball rolling it's very hard to stop it but the truth is he's a he's a global hero either way so cheers for to sure Mikhail cheers gorbachev. to gorbachev R. R. i'll say one more thing about him which i now i'm going to Acknowledge stealing from an American historian. We'll put this in the show notes. I didn't realize this. Well, I didn't think of it this way, but I'm sure it's true. Mikhail Gorbachev may be the singular example, at least in modern history, of an individual that probably could have been elected by popular vote in almost any country on earth, except his own. Except his own. Um, Interesting question. I mean, he was in some ways he wasn't the kind of personality that um, might have been warmly. But remember, we were in the TV age. You, know, you yeah. think Reagan being elected at the same time, former you know, matinee idol, um, B grade movie star. That's not an insult. Just you know, this is yeah. that, he was a, a smooth, prepared for television figure. Gorbachev resolutely was not. In some ways, I wonder if he, he needed the authoritarian regime to take him to where he got to, at which point he might have been elected anywhere. Well, or, or it's just a matter of comparison, right? He was not compared to Reagan, but compared to Andropov and Brezhnev. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah 100%. He definitely was. Right? He was sure. probably the most uh, media savvy leader that they maybe still have ever had. Well... And uh, I'm now um, cracking open my second. Right, so I'm doing something the Belgians would strongly disapprove of. I'm using the glass of one beer mm. for the consumption of another. This would get me lots of bad points in a uh, Belgian bar. But we well, they, they also, uh, you know, they also strongly disapprove of the Netherlands. So pick your poison, I guess. Well, that's true, too. Ladies and gentlemen, please tell your friends about us and encourage them to subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please give us a five-star review and message us on Twitter. People don't do this enough. If you have comments or questions about the show or more support, most importantly, suggestions for other stories for us, because we will use them unless they're completely crazy. And maybe we'll use them twice in that case. Alex, yep, spot on. What do we have up today? I've been looking forward to this one. Yeah, me too. And and, uh, and actually, it's it's one of those stories from my book that requires a little update because after I published the book, or after my publisher published the book, um, the it's eternally patient and and reasonable bite back uh, publishing who are much more professional in their endeavors than I ever was. <laughs> um, after the book was published, uh, I had a very interesting exchange with one of the characters in this story, who gave okay. me some interesting uh, interesting details and uh, and wrinkles about um about it but i'll tell you what i'll tell the story and then i'll tell you who from the story 
But let me just talking. ask before you start, will this yeah. be the first time the world has heard these details? Yeah. All right. Do yeah. it. Well, they may have heard it from him from one of the occasions, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. So but certainly, from, you, certainly yeah. from in relation to Dean history, that's for sure. Yeah. So we're going to turn to the chessboard uh, for this story, because of course, yeah, I work for Netflix, uh, which by the way, might benefit from a bit of the Hidden History Happy Hour. Uh, yeah. So why would it not work for our podcast? Um, although if you watch The Queen's Gambit, I will say that there will be no moves on the ceiling in this story, and there will be uh, no chess moves described, I promise. Uh, and there will probably although not definitely, be no wild binge drinking. <laughs> Fun fact, Alex. Uh, in one of my other day jobs, I am working with the company that created the special effect of the chessboard on the ceiling, which I, I thought it was great. Emmy. Yeah. When she is lying, so if you haven't seen the, the show, go watch it. Um, when the uh, heroine is, is lying in her bed or indeed just looking up at the ceiling, the pieces move in her mind on the ceiling that she's looking at. Yeah. And it's, it's, very, it's very well done, I must yeah. say to your production guy. I had no idea, but that's Yeah, I think cool. so. Let me just ask one just level-setting chess question before yeah. we start. That is, if I jump all the pieces and get to the other end, I get to put the other chess piece on top of the one I jumped with, right? Well, not quite, but given that you can promote a pawn to another piece if you get to the end of the board, I'm going to give you a pass on that. All right. Uh, and um, I am, uh, just as I'm an amateur historian, I'm an enthusiastic amateur chess player too. Right, I'm going to tell this bloody story. Um, most famous chess match in history is not this one. Most famous chess match in history was Bobby Fischer of the USA. Spassky. beat Boris Spassky of the USSR, winning the World Championships in Reykjavik in 1972, high to the Cold War. Having won, the mercurial Bobby Fischer refused to defend his title in the next championships. He had conditions or demands uh, for any title defense that basically any regulatory body would not grant. Uh, that was the premise on which he walked away. And whether in truth it was the dispute he had with the regulators or the motivated him, or that having scaled the heights once, he couldn't or wouldn't repeat the feat. He's he undefeated. Why mess with it? Yeah, he was one and done. Now, normally, there'd be a competition between challengers or candidates, inverted commas, and to take on the champion. And that so-called candidates round had taken place as planned in 1974. Mm -hmm. And because Fischer refused to defend the title, the winner of the candidates rounds, uh, Anatoly Karpov, became champion of the world by defense. And uh, you know, prodigy Fischer newly found sort of Greta Garbo status to you know, his approach to public appearances, didn't even yeah. really acknowledge this, and off he went, and, and Karpov became uh, world champion. I, I mean, therefore, in 1978, Karpov had to, in inverted commas, defend his title without actually mm. having won it. Why so uh, many years in between, do we know? Because that, that was the, so, so the funny thing about, well, so if, you may find the comparison grandiose, but it's the same as a World Cup in football, it's the same as the Olympics. Oh, okay. It's, it's a four-year like four gap. Okay, I understood. Yep. Four-year four gap, and um, the, the conditions were very often set, frankly, in, in the interest of the, of the defending champion. Um, right. But even that wasn't going to be enough to keep um, Fisher on the board. Uh, I want to be fair to Karpov too. He'd done some hard yards in the candidates tournament. You know, he'd beat all comers, but it mattered to Karpov and it mattered to his critics that he didn't win the title from yeah. Fisher. The fact that it was forfeited to him effectively really stung him hard. A and therefore the um, 1978 championships uh, was uh, fought in uh, now, I'm going to, I think it's Baguio, but we're going to be, corrected very quickly, I'm sure, if I'm wrong, in, in Baguio in the Philippines, between two Russians, 
But these Russians couldn't have been more different. And the biggest difference between them and their followers wasn't about chess. It was about politics and their personalities. Mm -hmm. Karpov, late 20s, model Soviet. Cruised to the top of the chess world without a setback, except being able to beat Fisher, which wasn't any his fault. Um, Staunch communist member, happy Muscovite, golden boy of the USSR. His opponent, Victor Victor Korchnoi, paunchy guy I'm in his 40s. I'm already on his side. Um, (laughs) Korchnoi had qualified for the candidates tournament, no fewer than five occasions. And now his big chance had finally come. He was rebellious, he was outspoken, and he felt sidelined by the Soviet regime's very clear preference for Karpov as the face of the game. And the Russians felt and said that the generation that had been crushed by Bobby Fischer was not the one to take up the championship seat for the future. And presumably there's lots of ways they could put their thumb on the scale too, right? Well, try try this. Korchnoi makes some spiteful comments about Karpov. Uh, You know, he didn't actually win the tournament so forth. after he became world champion and the Soviets banned Korchnoi from playing chess for a year. Right. So you're out of the, you're, you're an elite athlete. Effectively. You're an elite performer at the top of your game. You can't compete for a year because of something you said. And then in 76, uh, so championships in 78, yeah. and rewind to 76, Korchnoi was allowed to compete at a tournament in Amsterdam, possibly and probably in order to show the chess world that, Karpov was going to crush people, but those people were strong enough to win other competitions and therefore would deserve the title of world champion. Korchnoi jointly wins the 1976 Amsterdam Championship with an Englishman called Tony Miles. And he wanders into a Dutch police station and and declares... Yeah, well, 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 one may or may not find oneself there from time to time, normally not for these uh, right. reasons. Korchnoi wanders into this Dutch police station and declares to the no doubt amused desk sergeant that he wishes to seek asylum. So, my first of many side notes in this story, straight after the Amsterdam tournament was finished, as far as Korchnoi's minders were concerned, because you always have these mind, the beefy minders from uh, right. from back home accompanying you if you go out. Of, Often uh, named Putin in movies. Of the motherland, indeed. His minders thought he was deeply discussing post-match analysis with Tony Miles, sitting down and working out how their how game had gone. Yeah. In fact, he was getting Tony Miles to teach him how to spell political asylum. Oh. <laughs> you know, because wow. yeah, I, I, I use Cyrillic, English is my first language. Can you help me out here? There's this phrase I want. There's this phrase That's I want to get right. Amazing. And I, <laughs> yeah. is that is that in the book? I don't. Th- is that in your book? That yeah. little yeah, it's, oh, it's, okay. it's, right. it's in the Fair. book. Um, so, so my point would be that rather than any fit of peak, that decision to defect was actually very astute of Korchnoi, not only for quality of life reasons, getting out of the USSR, yeah, yeah. but also because it would ensure that he would actually be able to play in the elite games that his ability right. entitled him to, to compete in. Because if he stayed in the USSR, he never knew when the authorities might ban him from the board again. So therefore, this demonstrates, by the way, that people who are awkward in one context might be awkward in other contexts. Yeah. Korchnoi goes on to compete for the Dutch and then the West Germans and then the Swiss. And he falls out with all of them. So by the time the 78 World Championship rolls around, he's actually considered stateless. And um, I couldn't, when I was telling these stories on Twitter, I couldn't think uh, of another 
it, world championship in any sport or pursuit in which that's been the case. But my, my followers uh, pointed out that independent athletes have actually competed at the US, uh, actually competed at the Olympics relatively Well, let me, let me add this. This might be news to our viewers and subscribers. My uh, partner is a big tennis fan. We've been watching the US Open. And this is again, September, 2022. And the Russian and the Belarusian competitors mm have not been banned because of the invasion of Ukraine, but they've been prohibited from representing one of those two countries. So you look when they, when they're, you know, usually they put the flag of the country you're representing up, they have no flag. So they're they are stateless, stateless for purposes of, for US those Open. purposes. Yeah. yeah. Well, Korchnoi was actually stateless. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I the USSR, they're going back, by the way, but go ahead. Well, yeah, quite. But USSR predicted, one well, interesting to be discussed. We'll the see. USSR predictably sort of slags off Korchnoi in all sorts of ways, but he regards his newfound kind of rootlessness as a badge of honor. Sure. Um, in pre-match negotiations about the flags to be used, to your point, in the qualifiers for, yeah. um, for the tournament, Korchnoi's second, it's a bit like dueling, you had a second who looked after the details right. and the arrangements for you. Korchnoi's second was a British guy called Raymond Keane. And Raymond suggested that um, Korchnoi should play under the skull and crossbones, which I thought was, <laughs> I thought was cool. But, I mean, sadly, Love it was it. vetoed by the authorities, but that was, that was his suggestion. So would that be then the USSR? Oh, and Russia tried to muscle their defector off the pitch. They sought to have him banned from the qualifying tournament. How, how dare you compete if you're not competing for a state? We're the state you should be competing for. You've turned your back on us. You shouldn't be able to compete. It's a very rare thing, an example of the sporting authorities getting something right. Yeah. And the Soviets were told to do one. You know, Korchnoi is in. He's one of the best players in the world. He's going to play stateless. And so he won the right to face Karpov at last. And it was a very weird affair from the get-go. When was this exactly? 78. Yeah. Uh, Karpov had a hypnotist uh, on his team. Sure. Korchnoi had two locals who were on bail for attempted murder. <laughs> Uh, so this is unconventional, much Locals more conventional. in the Philippines. Yeah, quite. Karpov's ex-KGB, I'm doing air quotes if yeah, you're listening. Yeah, understood. Ex-KGB colonel yeah. acting as his minder, I thought was completely normal. The chairs in which the players sat for the game were x-rayed before play because the, the, the belief had been spread more on Korchnoi's side, but uh, the, the death rays had been installed sure. to zap the competitors. And by the uh, way, let me just say, lest people think this is entirely science fiction in 2022, our Central Intelligence Agency for the last seven years has been reporting brain injuries that are consistent with electromagnetic attack from Vienna to Cuba to Moscow. I mean, there's to, some term for it, isn't there? Um, yeah. About where it started. I can't remember where it yeah, I'll, um, put an ar I'll put an article about this in the show notes, but it sounds crazy, but I don't yeah. know. Maybe it wasn't. Well, so here's another crazy thing. Karpov was fond of yogurt. It was his kind of go-to mm -hmm. snack. And you can eat, because chess matches go on for hours, right? So you can have food delivered to you. There were wild allegations made that, about the arrival of the yogurt constituted the passing of messages about the current support, state of play from his support team. You know, whether it was you should take a draw or offer a draw, how likely you were to win right. and so forth. You know, if the timing of the yogurt was this or the flavor of the yogurt was that, that was going to, that was the hints were involved in the yogurt. Greek uh, but, if by land, non-fat if by sea. 
Yeah, well, that's that sort of that sort of thing. Yes, and if there's a the spoons on the left, then it means anyway. So okay. after prolonged negotiation, it was agreed you'll be relieved to know that yogurt could still be served during play as long as the color was pre-agreed, the server was pre-identified. That was another one. So the person bringing the yogurt out might be a clue to right. to you, and the timing of the delivery was pre-fixed. I mean, obviously the big issues have been nailed here, haven't they? Uh, so that was the end of yogurt gate. <laughs> Korchnoi also had a lady friend in tow who'd spent 10 years being detained by the Russians after charges of espionage were um, laid against her in the Soviet-occupied zone of Vienna. Remember the Graham oh, Greene yes. um, yes, yes. movie? So Now, it's right to say, therefore, after 10 years in prison, uh, their um, hospitality, she was not a uh, big fan of the Soviet Union. Right. And she loudly and firmly expressed her political views throughout the championships with uh, quite a lot of regularity. Courtney, by the way, was, was married with children, but anyway, he had this lady friend in tow at the match. Mm-hmm. Now, several, oh yeah, I'm not crazy, I'm just giving context. Um, because the fact Courtney's family is quite relevant, I'll, I'll explain why. Several world championships, I, I will hasten to add, have been played in an atmosphere of hatred. So, famous champions, Alec Hein and Capablanca could have been throwing knives at each other and rather moving pieces around the board. Uh, so Fisher are you is, a chess player, Alex? Yeah. But if it, go, sorry, go what, what kind of, I don't know anything about the ranking of chess, but like if you, are there other handicaps? Do you play with friends? Like how, what's the I'd be, chess I'm an world? adequate, I'm an adequate chess, I'm an adequate club player. I played, um, I played on the second. So my college at Cambridge was a successful, as you know, full of good mathematicians. It was a pretty good chess college, uh, and I played on the second team. Um, for oh, my, I, I occasionally sounds play, impressive. Play. Uh, it means I'm. It means I know some openings. I'm not not terrible. I'm okay. Impressive enough. I'll um, never play with you. Let's play. On the contrary, let's play for money. Um, you know, so the point I was making, I mean, the other example I was making, Fisher and Spassky actually didn't hate each other. They got on really well. Yeah. Um, but the superpowers they represented uh, were absolutely um, at loggerheads. But the animosity at show in the Philippines in 1978 was on another level. Korchnoi used the public platform, this is why I mentioned the family, used the public platform offered by the tournament to air the quite understandable grievances that he felt Mm. in his private life because he urged the release of his wife and son who were still detained back in the Soviet Union, not allowed, not given their passports, not allowed out. And he published this material to the Soviets um, uh, prior to the, the first match in which he referred to Karpov as one of the jailers of my family. I mean, it's very, you know, pretty personal circumstances yeah. in which to be taking somebody on. And well, not just because, night- yeah, Karpov probably, I mean, he was under the same system. He just decided yeah. to suck up to it. Right. Uh, that, that's entirely fair. I, I would just point out that when you're playing these chess tournaments, you're not playing them for like the 90 minutes of a football match. You're playing them for days and days, days. and days. Yeah, and yeah. if you've started in this notice of hostility, it's a pretty bad start. Right. Anyway, spectators were pretty hard to come by uh, for the championships because they had seven drawn games in a row, which is not the most exciting of um, no. things to watch. And having had these disputes and so forth between the two sides, before the eighth game, Korchnoi refused to shake Karpov's hand. They cited all the, the beef thing, thing uh, as a proof that the goodwill had been lacking anyway. And um, Karpov refused to shake Korchnoi's hand. If I did Even though he had around. seven games in a row. It was drawn. Or no. Yeah. They'd drawn but, seven but games. But he had shaken hands. It's shaken hands as is normal. Eighth game other- comes around. We've had this yogurt nonsense. Your, your woman friends constantly sounding off. You slag me off to the USSR. Actually, I'm not. Look, there's no goodwill here anyway. I'm not shaking right. your hand. 
Korchnoi was an incredibly thin-skinned character, if that hasn't come across already. Uh, and the deeply offended uh, Korchnoi lost his temper, played angrily. Karpov had the first win of the match at last. Raymond Keane's got a great book about the, the championship, and uh, which he meant he fell out massively with Korchnoi afterwards because he supposedly promised not to write a, a, a story of the story well, of the championship. Quick question, he did. quick question about the book. Does King think that this was a tactic deliberately intended to enrage Korchnoi? He, he absolutely does. Yeah. Uh, Ray Keane writes that um, court, that his players' behavior, that Korchnoi's play was consistent but suicidal. And that Karpov's needling uh, of his opponent was immoral but astute, and, uh, <laughs> and, and I, I think both of those evaluations are correct. Because <laughs> you know, Alex, I love a callback, and you'll recall that when we talked to uh, the CEO of McLaren Racing, yeah, we talked Zach about Brown, great guy. Zach Brown. We talked about the fact that their headphones communications are not encrypted. Right. And we said, God, it's a you know 21st century. Why don't you encrypt it? He said, no, no, no. We don't want them encrypted because we want to psych out the other side. It's part of the game. It's yeah. all part of the game for them. So speaking of part of the game, you've got Yoga Gay out of the way. You've had the first uh, victory at last, the courtesy of no handshake gate. Here right. comes hip hypnotist gate. This guy called <laughs> Vladimir Zukar. Now, they didn't just, it wasn't just like maybe this guy's a hypnotist. Like he, it was a celebrity. I'm trying to think of what the right... Oh David no, it's, Blaine you're talking type about, position. Um, the, the guy that bends Yuri Geller in the US. He was yeah, also Yuri Geller bending spoons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like he's just a really famous hypnotist, right? right? And lo and behold, he's on Karpov's support team. Korchnoi group complain. He's sitting there staring at Korchnoi like, intently. Korchnoi starts wearing these reflective glasses, which must have been irritating <laughs> as hell at a chess table. Um, Does that mean staring, he hypnotized himself then? Well, so well, and, and of course that would be. Uh, I suppose that would be the part of the point of the reflective. That's what um, I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think they were just meant to bounce it off, but maybe. So I suppose the fair thing to say is, no matter, even if you think hypnotism is a load of guff, it's pretty it's pretty hard to concentrate if, if a famous hypnotist in the audience is doing that. I would um, think. The adjudicators met on this thorny issue for six hours. <laughs> <laughs> Players suspended, you know, and, uh, and uh, Zukar moves back a bit in in the crowd, and, and Korchnoi's lady friend takes to uh, kicking the back of his chair and stabbing him with a pen, <laughs> trying to get him to move further out. Uh, it, so the, in the end, the two camps come to an agreement. He will sit at the back as long as Korchnoi stops wearing the reflective glasses. That was the oh. deal done between the camps. Oh. Now complaints are falling like rain from both sure. sides here. Korchnoi uh, draws even, 1-1 one, one, with nine draws. Uh, it's not a thrilling contest on the board. Uh, and he draws even with that first win for him, despite the fact that an academic wrote to him helpfully from Cambridge saying, it indeed is possible to have distance hypnosis work. So, you know, you probably have been at a, at a disadvantage in the course of this. Fog, well, this is not a metaphor, although it's also, also a metaphor. Yes, fog, physical fog, rolls into the room from outside the hotel, managing what? the hitherto impossible feat of stopping these two blokes from arguing and play is promptly suspended again. Are there images of this that we can put in the show notes? I will we know? we'll have we'll a, we'll have a Google around. We we'll try find and find. Now, suddenly, Karpov, they come back, fog's dispersed. Karpov comes back, wins two <laughs> games on the bounce in potentially heavenly sympathy for Korchnoi. Uh, there was a prompt earthquake and lightning struck the hotel. I know you think I'm making this up now, but I'm not. Um, there was, as a result of the earthquake, uh, so the lightning strikes, powers out, there's a landslide behind the hotel, 
behind the hall in which they're playing, two people are crushed to death in the landslide. This is a chess tournament with casualties. Uh, two wow. of the spectators are promptly crushed to death. The uh, monsoon follows the uh, earthquake and the lightning. The, the rain uh, floods out the hotel rooms. Play carries on. Sure. Uh, and as on. they sit back down to play again, the generator at the hotel under these conditions explodes. Uh, first big advantage that they've had, there's, there is no big fire at the hotel. They managed to put out the generator, but it does set play back. And uh, when they finally come back, post-earthquake, post-lightning, post-landslide, post-deaths, post-generator exploding, they finally get back to play. And they, they have these little clocks you play chess tournament and you press the button for your opponent to play. Right, yeah, and it yeah. courts Noy to play. He wastes, it's on his time, clock's running. He wastes, in, in elite world championship performance, he stands up at the front and instead of moving a piece, he shouts for a quarter of an hour saying, I'm going to come over there and punch you if you don't move further back in the hall to the hypnotist. Like a quarter uh, of an hour off his clock. In elite how time, I'm how come long at, was his clock? Uh, I think I can't remember what they're playing for. Two, three hours, but I, either oh, way, okay. quarter of an hour is a significant yeah, a lot, amount a lot of time. Of it. Yeah, he burned up. Yeah. Would you believe he lost? So that's Karpov four, Korchnoi one. For anyone who's still giving score, so this is the point at which the pair of people who are on bail for attempted murder arrive. Of course. Um, yeah. So they were in Korchnoi's entourage, courtesy of his lady friend I've mentioned, and they had been enlisted from a supposedly devout religious sect in order to send positive prayerful messages sure. uh, to their contender. And indeed, whether such ministrations might have been available from penitents who were not on bail for attempted murder remains unknown. And, and they had to convince these people uh, to get out of their colorful robes and into civilian clothes, get out of the lotus position or uh, you're prating about on the floor, onto yeah. chairs and finally banished from the room when serious criminal convictions was raised as an objection. Probably actually the first and most reasonable objection in the course of this uh, <laughs> yeah. tournament. You've got guys on bail for murder here. Could you or attempted yeah. murder? Would you mind moving them out of the hall? They claimed to, they, they, would, they would just pray for Korchnoi outside the hall. We actually seemed, as we're going to find out, that seemed to work. On the other hand, there were a group of Filipinos um, at, around the tournament who... Um, blackmailed tried to blackmail Korchnoi at this point and they said that if he didn't pay them the fifteen thousand dollars they demanded in return for their black magic uh, support they were giving him he, completely unsolicited by the way we've been doing some black magic magic for you you may not have known uh you now owe us fifteen thousand dollars we're going to do great um injury to you let me that just meant- let me just interrupt you here and point out to our viewers and listeners that this is not even our supernatural episode no that one is still to come yeah. this is our chess episode this is the chess episode, <laughs> the chess episode. <laughs> right, we're, we're gonna we're gonna do great harm to you you, you know don't ask what it is but it's gonna think we do black magic and be yeah. very bad if you don't pay us this money so they have to suspend play again for the philippines police to investigate these guys blackmailing one of the players yeah, so always reliable Philippine police. Indeed. Uh, long story already, but longer story shorter. Uh, one more win apiece, Karchnoi 5, Korchnoi 2, 20 draws. Then there's a major Korchnoi comeback, and he wins three out of four games in a row. And in part, that's because Korchnoi, uh, Karpov was in a car crash um, before one of the games. A minor car crash and uh, recuperating afterwards, sat out in the sun in the Philippines and he got severe sunburn uh, before, <laughs> before wow. fifth win. They say, what do we have? Earthquake, landslide, lightning strike, uh, generator explode, black it, magic, attempted murderer, car it is, crash. It is starting it's, to sound biblical. I got to be yeah, honest. Yeah, yeah, quite. But, so the point is, they've had, they're, they're now at 5-5. Five, five. 
and 20 draws. And how many Every- days in is this? Oh, we're like a couple of months in now. We're a couple, we've been going, we've been at this for a while. Right? Everyone is exhausted. And the organizers suggest, suggest, do you know what? We should just cancel and come back and start again with the results reset nil-nil. Can you imagine doing all this again? All the disputes. Well, to be rays, honest, yogurt gate. To be honest, I can't be, I can't imagine doing it the first time, much less the second time. So there's an interesting thing about about this story, right? They take that offer and they make it to Reiki as um as Karpov's uh, as Kuchner's second. They say, let's come, let's why don't we scratch this and come back nil-nil? Given the run of form, remember three out of four games in a row. Okay, yeah. the opponent had a car crash, the opponent was sunburnt, but we've won three games out of four. Yeah. If I tell my man we've had this offer, it will throw him off his game if we continue. I gain nothing if, we, uh, if we're going to suspend it anyway. Um, they, they may choose to suspend it without our yeah. agreement. So Ray Keane and his, the camp supporting uh, Korchnoi decided to decline the offer of resetting without telling their player. Mm. Okay. Say- Look, let me stop you there. This is a long episode. People just bear with us because it's awesome. Do we know anything about the relationship between Ray King and his player? I mean, this yeah. is. Uh, yeah. I'll get to, I'll get okay, to that. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Go. Uh, so he declines the offer uh, without telling Korchnoi. Korchnoi loses the next game, which was the decider. Yeah. So after th- that's after three months of play, Karpov wins against Korchnoi six games to five, 21 draws. Now, Korchnoi played at the highest level for the rest of his life, but he was never to become world champion. And he'd never come this close um, again. Um, they all, the, the chess governing body, FIDE, pulled the same stop and start uh, routine, um, you know, cancel and start again after a number of draws. The very next time that um, Karpov defended his championship against one new promising newcomer, Gary Kasparov. Um, so yeah. Kasparov was denied... Um, the ability to, to take on and, and defeat Karpov on that occasion because they, they prevailed in that draw argument. So, Korchnoi was in the candidates round some total of 10 times. Lifetime even score with Fischer and he beat the, the current world champion, Magnus Carlsen. Um, Korchnoi beat in the, in the course of his, his play. So, um, I do... Two coders, I don't believe that Fisher walking off the scene takes anything away from Karpov's achievement, to me anyway. Wait, you, you said Fisher, did you mean that? Yeah, I did. Did Fisher walking away being okay. absent oh, from the title? Right, right, right. Did, gotcha, it, did gotcha, it mean, gotcha. did yeah, it mean yeah, yeah. that Karpov's yeah. achievement was any less? Yeah. For me, the yeah. answer is no. You can only win the game you're in. Yeah. Matches can only be won by the people who are prepared to compete. Yeah, and, and then the second coder is, what's what do you lesson do you take from the marathon? And I, for me, it's inter- it's about the offer. It's about the offer that was made to Keane that he declined. Yeah. Uh, and it may, be, it may seem invidious, say, after an anticlimactic draw, after all the emotion, after all the slog, maybe taking the draw is the best um, offer uh, after all. Of co- also, of course, uh, avoiding spiritual guidance from those with murderous intentions yeah. um, seems a bit trite. I suppose I, I, the, the real other lesson is the more you pile, this is a good one for life, the more you pile up secondary disputes and distractions and fail, you're not concentrating on what actually matters. You're concentrating on being bugged and bothered by things. The less likely you are to succeed. Uh, And if nothing else from the magnificently weird Philippines round of the world championships in chess in 1978 uh, can be applied universally, that don't be distracted by the frivolous. That seems to me to be a universal lesson. And pick your battles, right? And pick your battles. 
What? So has anything remotely close to as weird as this happened in the chess world, which you understand and I don't at all? Uh, there's, so one of the big things that's happened since is the, ri- the rise of the chess engine in a serious way. You will have some somebody say, well, chess right. engines have been with us in different ways for a long time, which is true. But really high-powered chess engines that could beat people. The AI, uh, the Watson. Yeah, that can, that can beat, I mean, elite yeah. players, I mean, relatively recent, since this tournament. Oh, yeah. And uh, and therefore, the lot of the um, disputes now arise on whether people are using engines in tournaments right. and whether people are cheating. And there have been a couple of players, no need to name them, not least because some of these things are disputed, who've been caught in the toilets at tournaments on their phones, which is not allowed. They denied using engines, or sometimes right. they admitted it. The point is... Um, that's where that's where chess disputes go now predictable and mundane rather than you know you're using death rays on me you're using hypnotism on me you're smuggling messages through your yogurt your lady friend stabbing my guy in the back literally with a pen and so forth i extraordinary so go go ahead well i'll tell you two other things um just to wrap up the story Korchnoi's son was supposedly given an undertaking that he could follow his father into exile from the ussr if he surrendered his passport um he did so he was promptly drafted into the soviet army i would think yeah. and uh and he was arrested and charged when he refused to, to as a, a conscientious objector to perform army service he was sentenced to two and a half years in a labor camp not easy in the soviet union served his full sentence no no suggestion he misbehaved served his full sentence mm-hmm. six years after Korchnoi's defection in 1982 he was finally allowed to leave the USSR and I just want to tell you one more thing to demonstrate the evil of the regime we're talking about in the course of his journey to the most famous tournament the 72 win against Spassky Fischer crushed um, uh, a Russian player called Mark um, Taimanov in Vancouver Uh, and just like six love they're just straight out at you just you're just dispatched dispatched time and off's chess career it's a lifetime of hard work that was effectively over and he yeah. and whilst he hadn't been told that by his minders he knew that he would never play again time and off said because he was um he was a concert pianist as well as a grandmaster in chess and he said it was a wonderful one-liner to uh Karp- to uh Karpov over the board recorded for history he said uh six, went down six nil and said look looked at his opponent and said well at least i have my music and he didn't yeah the soviet good. regime was so spiteful they didn't yeah. just ban him from playing chess they banned him from concerts as well yeah so much to say about this so people he said sorry he said he said that to fisher excuse me i think that's a couple he said looked over the board and said to the american at least i have my music it's but a good line isn't right? it yeah. No, I didn't. Yeah, so people astute will be looking behind me and seeing my picture with uh, Condi Rice back there, and of course she was one of the architects of the, yeah. of the yeah, but right. So she was one of the architects of the of the fall of the Soviet Union, but also great concert pianist. And I don't know this for sure, but I think if you asked her, what would you rather give up your um, your only African American woman membership at Augusta Golf Club or your piano playing? easy call for her. That's thing one. Thing two is just getting back to the uh, atmosphere Yeah, back in the day, because it's uh, probably a little bit easier for people to recreate it now with all the brutality that Russia is uh, is um, imposing on, on Ukraine. But cheers, Ukraine. Cheers, Ukraine, 14th, as always. Slava Ukraine. Yeah. Slava Ukraine. Um, I find a lot of people that are my daughter's age, early twenties, they hear the word communism 
And they think it kind of means like Bernie Sanders, universal education. They have no idea the level of repression. Subjugation by the state on a systematic level designed to repress and, and subject any kind of individuality to the state's needs. And to circle as back perceived, to- As perceived by the elite. Yeah, and to circle back to how this conversation started, the minders of Russia now, the Putin regime, uh, there's no chance the Cold War ends if Putin is the uh, chairman of the Politburo when Gorbachev was, right? No, that's correct. Yeah, hey, we, so we promised we promised a couple of details. Yeah, uh, go, go, go. Uh, yeah. So who, who do you think my source was? It's pretty, actually, it's pretty easy from the story. Uh, Ray King. Correct. Keen. Yeah. Keen. Keen. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Ray so Keen. Ray, yes. Raymond Keen, uh, grandmaster in his own right, of course. Um, and uh, the, we had lunch and we, um, ah. the big the big thing he told me I, I got wrong was my assertion that the charges against Courtney's lady friend were trumped up. He said, said she was definitely a spook, mate. <laughs> she was, she, look, the Soviets got a lot wrong, but they weren't wrong about that. <laughs> and, wow. So, and and this is obviously very self-serving but because you were asking. Yeah. And uh, we, ha- we had some drinks and he doesn't play competitive anymore, but he's grandmaster. He's good at chess. Uh, we played three games and I, got, I, I, took, I took a draw of him. Get out. So, but I'm serious. I mean, look, I went down in flames too, but I took, I took a draw. And you don't think he let you win? I don't think so. I mean, it may have been the drink, but you, you do wow. find, I th- oh, I don't think so. It means you can hold his booze too. But people who are competitive are competitive, right? He still runs, he still plays competitive. Uh, he, he does um, exhibition games where he, he plays, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 people at a time. He, um, he has a, for a guy called Tony Bazan, who's a late, late friend of his, uh, he runs a kind of uh, brain games um, trust. And I can't, I'm getting the name of it wrong, but he, he runs yeah, this thing about the importance of memory. And uh, like most people who've, who've doggedly, determinedly become one of the best people in the world at something, I don't think he throws a game. So <laughs> maybe I'm just telling you, myself that, but I don't think so. You reached a legit draw with this guy. Yeah, but, but I want to also want to say about chess that sometimes if you just don't if you just don't play too terribly, in the end sometimes you can grind out a draw. Yeah, it, no, it, it's I, like it's like tennis. My dad, I always called him the old fox because he would just keep hitting the ball back and wait for me to make a mistake. Right, and, and maybe if there was a if there was a tie break thing that you did in the event of a draw, I'd have gone down in flames in the tie break. But I certainly held my serve. All right, well that that tells me two things. One is we are only playing poker together from okay. now on. <laughs> and two, like that's that's legit. Good job, man. Good Thank you job. very much. I appreciate so I, it. I have I have two things to add. I'm sure we're way over time, but I want to say something about it's a little bit later. This is the 1980s, but the atmosphere, the East-West atmosphere that informs this conversation. So I was yeah. a relatively young, newly minted CIA officer in 1987. Let's say, might get the year wrong. And I visited Vienna. I visited our embassy in Vienna. And um, the ambassador said to me, we focus on two things and two things only in this embassy. One is countering Soviet espionage in Vienna. Two is making absolutely sure that our ambassador never is in a photograph with Kurt Waldheim. (laughs) <laughs> it was a Nazi. And for yeah. our for our viewers, you can look that up. But it's uh, it's a Kilroy kind of comment. The second thing I want to say is 
If, it, if I've mistook my hero's talker figures and he wasn't a Nazi, we're going to edit that out, but I'm pretty sure he was a Nazi. Oh, no, he was a Nazi, for yeah, sure. Right, that, okay. That's, that's right. why he was yeah. trying to rehabilitate his it's image. Just, you, did, you didn't say image. yes, and I thought for a moment, oh, my God, have I missed him. Oh, no, 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 no. He was, he was a Nazi. We've talked about Warner, Werner von Braun before. He was more of a Nazi than Werner von Braun. Yeah, so and von, Braun, thing, von Braun was a legitimate Nazi. Yeah, there the second thing I want to say, speaking of the space program, as I just bootstrap my own comment into the conversation, is uh, – Two TV recommendations. One, of course, um, the uh, ceiling chess game of the Queen's Gambit. I don't, as as is obviously apparent, I don't know chess. I don't love chess. I don't play chess. Great entertainment, nonetheless. The second is something on Apple TV. They're not a sponsor. They don't pay us anything. I'm just throwing this out there. It's a show called For All Mankind. Have you watched this at all, Alex? No. Uh, Although I imagine it's about space exploration, given the title. For, so the premise of the show is the Russians land on the moon before the United States in 1969. Hmm. And I watched a couple episodes. I'm a little bit of a space geek and a sci-fi geek. I watched a few episodes. I thought, ah, this is not going anywhere. It turns out it is a 50-year alternative history because the Russians landing on the moon first changes everything in American politics and American right. leadership. So just right. one of dozens of examples. Teddy Kennedy never takes Joanne Kopechny in the car to Chappaquiddick, so she doesn't die there. I wonder why that would So he change. becomes president. You got to watch yeah. the show to see. All right. So he becomes president. And then his presidency is destroyed because he has an affair with guess who? Mary Joe Kopechny. Yeah, it's so Reagan becomes president years earlier than he really did, which he might have done. He challenged challenged yes, Ford. Yeah, seventy six, and yeah. this changes everything. So ultimately, you have all kinds of competitive but cooperative space exploration between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. It's it's an amazing uh, piece of entertainment. I well, recommend it. I thank you for both those recommendations. One of which, of course, I've watched, and just to out geek you, which I can very occasionally do, um, on the uh, Queen's Gambit recommendation, which is good. There is a whole sub piece of interest which will have skipped you for reasons you've explained, where people online recreate the matches that she is playing and work out which matches his, matches from history Real which are ones, actually between copying. other players oh. with other players the, she so she plays beth plays matches which were actually played by other people yes and um and they then discuss those games why they might have been just chosen for that moment why the emotion might be right for that scene whether they had faithfully demonstrated the uh, execution of that game which almost entirely the makers of that of that show did yeah, anyway yeah. so it's a it's a cool fact well, now, of course, that is a very cool effect. And, of course, I have to ask the question, is the Karpov Death Ray series represented in any way in the Queen's Gambit? Um, so, so I'm not going to give a good answer because there are so many games in the Queen's Gambit yeah, in, the, in the series. I, I'm yeah. not sure. I, I haven't pursued. Whilst I've been interested in that, I haven't pursued it down that rabbit hole. All right. So to conclude, awesome story. Netflix. Continue to promote the hell out of the Queen's Gambit, but look at a little history show you might want to pick up. Yeah, and if you're still, uh, God bless you, if you're still listening after an hour of us gas bagging, you should definitely be hitting, hitting the, subscribe, the subscribe button. We've got a clutch of people listening. We've got loads of listeners, but very few subscribers, and really be helping us out if you hit subscribe. Subscribe and show up for our Twitter Spaces event, which is going to be about the Supernet Show. Now imagine 
if the last hour has included death rays and hypnotism <laughs> yeah. and murder, what is our supernatural event going to be? And tune in and send us suggestions. Alex, sorry about your country's loss. God save Thank the you very king. Much. Cheers God to save you. the king. Thank you for listening to the Hidden History Happy Hour podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have questions, comments, or suggestions for topics, you can find us on Twitter or on our website, hiddenhistoryhappyhour.com. We look forward to joining you next time. Much gratitude to our multi-talented production team of Jeremy Kaur, Kate Cruz, and Grace Keller, and to our visionary executive producer, Ivan Williams. And thanks also to our art designer, David Wardle, without whom this podcast would be, well, history. Cheers.